Mickey Robinson. Woo! This is uh, Barbara Robinson. I'm over here. You don't want to come up? That's fine. I just want you to say hi next to me, but you already said it. She's been drinking it. She's in the river like the hippos. <laughs> I got a new story about a hippo. This, this barber here gave this barber here a hippo a stuffed toy t this morning to me because I talked about that. Anyways, I was supposed to say hi to you while I'm standing next to Mickey. So, hi, greetings, salutations. This is going to be awesome. I hope so. <laughs> All right. I mean, he is going to be awesome. Yeah, well. Oh, Lord. <clears throat> well, for, so a lot of you, maybe we're seeing it for the first time. How many, you know, this, you weren't here, but we were here Friday and Saturday. So just wave here. Okay. Believe it or not, I am the guy that was here this weekend, so. And we've been having a good time. First of all, I just, before uh, I get, we get involved here, I just want to thank, first of all, our hosts, uh, Robert and Barbara Henderson, who... Uh, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good response. And obviously, I appreciate the whole team here, your pastor and his beautiful wife and all the worship. We've been, we've been getting away with a few things, I think. And I just want to say that this is really a good place. We've been a lot of places. This is the first time, actually, can you believe it, that we've ever been in the state of Oregon. So did I say that right? Sometimes I have the accent in the wrong syllable, and I call it Oregon. My son hassles me about that. Anyway, I know I'm here, and it's great. Uh, I got <clears throat> a lot of things, and some of you may, you know, were interested in my testimony. And I, okay, I can do like an elevator version of my testimony, okay? But I want to get into a message this morning. And I would refer you then, of course, here's, I've got a book. The book I wanted to have here didn't get here, which is really belongs to a communistic plot <laughs> from the publisher. They, they goofed up. But this is my book that's about my testimony. Um, it's called Falling Into Heaven, A Skydiver's Gripping Account of Heaven, Healings, and Miracles. And I'm sure you might find that fascinating. And there's a lot of, there's even some gory pictures. I might show a few of them in here in a little bit. But uh, you might find that fascinating. The best thing after you read it is give it to somebody who never knew the love, the power, the cool stuff of God, and just see. And then when they get done, say, what'd you think? And then pray for them to, to, to get blessed by God. You'd be surprised what a little bit of the shocking truth of God's love and power will do to people. Okay. And you never know until you try. So anyway. Also, I've got some stuff out there, including this is a, a prophetic CD we did. It's like 80 minutes, and we got some cool stuff on here. That's some out there. And there's some, some other paraphernalia out there of ours. In one way, this is a sobering weekend. I mean, it was a joyous thing to come here. But to think about 20 years after 9-11, I just can't sweep it under the rug well, thinking the seriousness of it and to look at some of the stuff this week. And if you did, you realize that uh, we should never forget what happened. And uh, the only time a person should kneel during the national anthem is to pray for America. And I don't care if people don't like what I just said now. And for the professional people that took advantage of our country while they're making millions of dollars to entertain people with their athletic ability, I could care less if they don't like me. This nation has taken care of the whole world my lifetime, has fed the world, and 90% of the gospel came from America. And if we stop doing that, we're missing the whole reason we're here. And it's not about politics. It's not about left and right. It's about the truth. It's about the destiny of, of God. And I, those little, there was two little girls up here worshiping the Lord. Where are they? 
one had a stream. If it's about anything, it's about the children having a future. I was watching those little girls, and I, I, I'd go to war for them. And they were helping each other to worship better. Don't take that out of school. Don't take that out of my country. Don't take that out of my city. Do not mess with the children. Excuse me. I do have the joy of the Lord. Oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble. Whoo! Yeah. Okay, just, so just so I said I'd give you an elevator version of my testimony. Would you, you care about it? Anybody want me to do it? I don't have to. Okay. Okay, I'll do it like, like a coloring book. I'll use pictures, and then we'll just go fast, okay? First of all, I was born in a place called Cleveland, Ohio, and the middle of last century, the 20th century, 1949. So I'm a baby boomer. So this picture of me as a little kid. Where is it? It's coming. Wow. It was dark when I was born. And the, and the cancel culture stopped. There's, oh, there he is. There's little Mickey. Little Mickey, when he was about five years old, going to Catholic school. And then I was, uh, oh, there he is. And <clears throat> I grew up really fast, as you can see. So when I'm going to graduate from high school. I was 18 years old, so I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I was raised uh, by, by my mom, who believed in going to the Catholic Church. And my, my dad was an atheist, and he had problems. But all of us kids, Catholic Church, Catholic school, whammo. So I knew all about the history of Jesus, but I didn't know anything about knowing Jesus. I went to church ever since I was an infant, all my life and did all that stuff. And I'm not, this isn't me being negative about the Catholic Church. I do like this better by a lot. I, did. I never met one person that told me about the love of God or that God answered prayer in their life or they got healed or that there's hope. I never heard that. I just heard all of the other stuff. I never heard anybody really share the message that we call the gospel or the good news of Jesus. Heard a lot of other stuff. All of it true. But I think it's the most important thing is to really understand the simplicity and the purity of the most important message, the most important information that there will ever be. Never heard that. So I'm just doing everything else, and I got a job in a stock brokerage firm, probably wearing that suit. I had no business being in there, just weaseled my way in there. Then they promoted me. So I thought I was going places. I thought I was doing stuff. And I always liked sports. I was good at them. I always liked adventure. I was adventurous. Started flying airplanes. Then I started jumping out them. How many of you would like to jump out of an airplane? Where's that? Oh, that there was a pilot that interviewed me on the, uh, on the TV radio place. And, uh, and he said, I've seen the all pilots. He said, he's, why would you want to jump out of a perfectly good flying airplane? They all, every pilot in any country says the same, because it's really a blast. It's really fun. And I still like it. So. But <clears throat> I didn't know that life could change really fast. How many know that life could change really fast? Especially if you're so caught up in your own personal interests, living for everything full blast, everything's kind of a blur. You just don't care about reality. Your reality is what you're into. And so I was a skydiver. I was asked to be on a professional demonstration team only after 20 jumps. Nobody's ever done that. Nobody even gets to do what I did in skydiving. And so I'm just all excited about being the best skydiver in the world, having the most fun doing it. And I didn't know that life as I knew it would suddenly change forever without my permission. And we, we lost the engine on a takeoff on a practice jump, and we had an airplane crash. There's a picture of a, an airplane somewhere. There it is. Now, I was, of course, now I was on the right side of the plane there where, that, where the wing was tore off. Of course, there's more damage than it because it burned, but it was a bad crash. How many believe that? One time I was going to, uh, <clears throat> I think I was going on a television interview, and the guy says, our next guest here is Mickey Robinson. He was in a really bad airplane crash. I mean, do you know anybody that was in a good one? 
get a phone call. Guess what, Mickey? Guess what? I was in the best airplane crash I've ever been in. Isn't that great? But actually, it was bad. We hit a tree going 100 miles an hour. I smashed my face. I got a brain injury. I got stuck in the plane. The pilot got stuck in the plane. The skydivers that escaped, they were just leaving. The plane explodes. I'm soaked with gasoline, and I'm burning alive, stuck inside. My chariot of pleasure had become a funeral pyre. And the brave man who was my partner went back in a burning airplane, pulled me out. It took a long time to get the fire out because airplane gasoline is very volatile, and I was soaked. I was on fire from head to toe, burning alive. Put the fire out, rushed me to the hospital, and the injuries were horrible. The doctors didn't think I'd survive the night, uh, but I did. They were still waiting for me to die, and they started doing all the medical you know, heroics, even though they didn't think I was going to live. Medicine, and there had to be surgery. But it was rapidly, my condition changed so bad, so fast, it's hard to believe. A perfectly healthy professional athlete to go downhill in a matter of weeks, to lose 45% of my body weight, 170 some pounds, down to 92 pounds or 93 pounds. Infection over my whole body, blind in my right eye, both of my legs below my knees paralyzed. Holes in my body this big where bones were sticking out, open wounds. And uh, I was bleeding 10 pints of blood a day. Somebody should have gone to the auto store and got some stop leak, and I should have <laughs> done many shots. And the blood in my body was infected. I had sepsis. I was having organ failure. They tried all they could. I kept getting worse and worse. And they called in a specialist and he from an expert, famous hospital, and he read, he listed all these seven fatal complications, and the last thing he wrote, there's nothing that I can offer this young man. Basically, I was medically and scientifically hopeless. And a few days later, I had what is now known as a near-death experience, where I died, my spirit left my body, I went into a dimension that's shockingly spiritual. I comprehended eternity, I saw colors and things that are hard to explain in, in regular language. And then I saw the outer darkness, and I knew I would be sealed forever in a bottomless, empty pit, separated from the source of all life. See, but the, for the first time in my life, in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, a person who thought I had it all together, self-sufficient, bulletproof, I can do anything, called out to God. God, help me. Called out to a God I didn't know and cried out to the Lord, who I never served. I never was asked. I never was invited. And if I would, I probably was too busy to even think about it. And in the weeks that followed, laying on, in that hospital bed or on an operating table, when they give you pain medicine that has no effect on the kind of pain you're having, I said, God, please help me. I'm sorry. Help me. And now I'm looking at my life being lost for eternity. And I said, no, please. I want to live. Give me another chance. I want to be alive. And I was thrust through this opening, this white portal, and I stood in the presence of God in heaven. I knew I was going to be alive forever and ever and ever. And this God, the presence of God, so strong, so I mean, strong is not a good enough word, that I was going to be alive and cared for forever. And then I saw six years of the future that was going to happen. And the Lord spoke to me to come back. I was going, I didn't want, and believe me, anybody that says they were in heaven and they volunteered to go back, we're not in heaven. There's no way you would want to come back to the earth when you're already there. But God basically was answering my prayer. I'm sorry. Give me another chance. This other chance has been going on for 53 years. And what I do with this chance is his business and my business. I was given, I was re-given the gift of life. Life is a gift. Another picture? Okay, here's me. This is about four months. This is when I was getting better. This was when I was getting better. I couldn't eat anything for nearly a year. No food at all. My, the, my insides, my esophagus were destroyed. I thought I was dying, lost the will to live. Didn't really, food could not go in. I had a rubber hose coming out of my stomach like in that picture. It was blind in my right. There's the first. The guy's holding me up. See my legs? It said I'd never walk again, but I took a couple of steps with these muscles working. They said I might be able to walk with leg braces and crutches and like wheelchairs. But uh, that's me. Now, well, not yet. Go back. Those are the legs that were paralyzed. 
I climbed up that rock in the Bay of Fundy, looking out towards uh, Prince Edward Island. Um, I, I was paralyzed. I was blind for five and a half years, and now I can see. Both legs were paralyzed. I said never walk again. Jumped out of airplanes. I'm a snow skier. I play football the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I had all kinds of other miracles. They're in the book. And if you want to look up my testimony, go to MickeyRobinson.com. There's all kinds of people's versions that other people did about me. You can look at that. But the biggest thing, I could list the miracles and all kinds of cool stuff. And I love talking about them. But the biggest thing is experience being forgiven and being filled with the love of God and being full of the Holy Spirit. The biggest thing. It's to be forgiven and to be filled up with the love of God and to know that there's a purpose for life. And it isn't just about messing around in this world and being good at all that stuff I ever did. That's okay. The stuff that I'm doing is what I was created for. What I do now is why I was born again. My second chance was to live, to honor and glorify God, and to make and to do serious damage while I'm on earth. Okay, so that's part of my testimony. Is that okay? You think I didn't make this? Did you think I made this up? I'm kind of faking it. I got, I got some funny stories about people. It was a, <clears throat> I have a friend of mine. He's from New Zealand. He was a really smart. He's one of the smartest guys I know. One of the most humble. His name's Winky Pratt, and he's got the cool New Zealand accent and. Some woman got an airplane a few years ago and sat down. She was all strapped with the seatbelt on. The plane's taken off. She goes, I'm so excited. She goes, he goes, well, what are you so excited about? He goes, she goes, they're re-releasing the movie The Exorcist. And he goes, I am an exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't going anywhere. And in three minutes, talked about the love of God and led that woman to the Lord. It's not about saying, don't go see The Exorcist. It's about talking about the one who sets people free. So, okay, open your Bibles. B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read. Here we are. What am I going to read? I'm going to start on verse 5, and I'm going to go backwards and make a little comments, and then we're going to just, we're going to roll through here. And I don't want to keep you any longer. Do I have 25 minutes to do this? Can I hear 30? <laughs> Not all day. Okay. I want to I do what's really important for you and for this church. Okay, so here we go. For our gospel, this is, okay, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. And it's kind of a young church, and he's got really cool things to say. Uh, but listen to this. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And in much assurance, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every other place, your faith towards God has gone out, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So this trilogy of faith, hope, and love is written by Paul five or six other times. <clears throat> but here it's very distinct. Of course, the most famous place is 1 Corinthians 13. It goes through this whole list. <clears throat> and it ends with, but now we abide in faith, hope, and love. These three things. And in that list, he says, you know, he says, if there's tongues, they'll pass away. If there's knowledge, it'll pass away. He talks about all these things that will pass away. And a lot of people think, that's, a, that's an excuse that's called the cessation of the gifts of the Spirit. He's talking about when you're in heaven. He's talking about when you're in heaven. Guess what? There won't be any need for evangelism in heaven. 
You won't have to speak in tongues in heaven. There's going to be other incredible spiritual communication that we, I can't even describe of the communication in heaven. It's so out there because it's, it's, it's another world and may, everything's made out of other stuff. All the stuff, but it says now we live in faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. If you think it's not about the, if that's about canceling the gifts, the next chapter, there were no chapter separations when this stuff was written. There were letters. It says, Earn, pursue love, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. So if that was all going to pass away, why did he say this is really important? When there's something special that God illustrates, he magnifies it prophetically, and it sinks into people's hearts. The secrets of their hearts are revealed, and they go, this isn't about church. This isn't about this kind of church. It's not about that person. God's here. The focus becomes on the reality of God and the purpose for a person's life. So faith, hope, and love, if you look it up, you'll find it's in cool places throughout the scriptures. And you got to not take things out of context. You, you bring the scriptures together, and it's not confusing. Okay, I want to talk. One of the biggest problems I had after surviving what was insurvivable, having been full of the Holy Ghost, but I still had to go through like five years of being in the hospital, operation. I had more operations. I had more trials than Judge Judy. I'd say Perry Mason, but nobody knows who that is anymore. <laughs> but God delivered me from them all. It can be hairy living on earth. Really weird. Living in heaven is not like living on earth. Purpose. The purpose of God for all true followers, forward slash disciples of Jesus, in general, every person is called to preach. Every person is called to preach. Like I was looking at a tree full of owls. Who? You. You. Every person is called to preach. If you're a follower of Jesus, a disciple, you're called to preach. He said, preach. To who? To the lost, declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's like here. It's at arm's length. The kingdom of God's at hand. Originally, the lost was the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But now, including anyone who is lost, Jew or Gentile, nominal Christian, new age, person who believes in aliens, whoever they are, they need to know the truth. It isn't what's in the media. If I ever heard chaos before in my life, turn on TV, you need almost to take drugs to watch TV. It's so chaotic. People are so weirded out. They're mad, angry. They're pointing fingers like, wait a minute. There's something that's more important to talk about, and it ain't that. People are lost, and they're good people that believe in weird things. So you just, you know... If you ask someone, are you a Christian? You go, well, I've gone to church all my life. I went to church all my life, and I was not a Christian. Well, I believe in God. There's Buddha. There's, God, there's rocks there. God is all God. No. Muslims, Buddha, all those. They're people. I'm sure that Buddha was a nice fat guy, had some wise things, but he wasn't the Lord. I'm not here to find fault with them. I'm just telling you, the truth is serious. And people are trying to blend it all together. This is, and God is even too generic. This is like a, just a, like a black and white tomato soup can. It's Jesus Christ is Lord. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. The Jewish people need to realize the Messiah has come. And we love the Jewish people and we love Israel. And we're seeing the Lord do stuff there. But there's a whole lot more that needs to happen there and right here in America. I'm going to get off track here. Bad enough already. Preach to the lost. That's, you don't know who they are, so they need to hear the truth. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. The ministry of deliverance is so very needed today. Deliverance and inner healing are so very needed today. He said to the, so he's given this 
command to his disciples. And he said, freely you have received, freely give. In other words, don't be cheesy and cheap about, about your generosity of sharing the truth about the Lord. I pray for people everywhere. Do I pray for people in places? In the bank, in the airport, on a train, in a store. I mean, in, you just ask them. 99% of the people say yes. And you'd be surprised if someone just says yes, what God can do. It's amazing. Not that complicated. Then there's specific purposes as a follower of Jesus. Number one, your personal walk, it's your responsibility. Can't blame shit, but I had a bad pastor. Ant, that doesn't work. Our church didn't believe in that. Ant, that doesn't work. But this, this wife you gave me, ant, I heard that from Adam a long time ago. Do you think Adam married the wrong woman? I think I married the wrong woman. No, I don't think so. Your personal walk is your responsibility. Number two, family. Your spouse, if you're married, it's your responsibility to love them and to interact with them according to the ways of God. The same with your kids. If you're married, if you have kids, the same thing. It's your immediate responsibility. And if you're, if you're single, there's, there's close relationships you have. The third thing is close relationships. I don't think we can be intimate with like a thousand people. Barbara and I, supposedly, we, people say, well, you know everybody. No, everybody. We know people. But we can't be intimate with everybody. I don't think we can emotionally handle it. But there needs to be people that you know, that you trust, that you can be open with. People are so afraid nobody trusts anybody today after the last two years. We don't know who's telling the truth about the virus, who's telling the truth about the government, who's telling the truth about the economy, who's telling the truth about the weather. <laughs> But the Lord is the truth. There needs to be somebody that you can be open with without, without being violated. So there needs to be, you need to have people you can trust. And then there's the vocational calling, your job. And it's your ability to represent Jesus anywhere you can have influence. Whatever your hand needs to do, Scripture says, do it as unto the Lord. That's why I can hear. I don't know that much about millennials. I just know there's a lot of millennial jokes and people say things. People that like what they're doing and are good at what they're doing are more impressive than people that are complaining about what's wrong. People that are doing something, if you plant, if you have ground and you plant it and get a harvest, it's better than I'll just wait until something happens. The scripture talks about that. I'm productive. We need to be productive people. We can do stuff. We have abilities to do things here. And if your freedom is being threatened, find a way to use your freedom so you're not threatened. We need each other. This is a safe place to talk about that stuff. Not illegal yet. <laughs> you have responsibility for your influence. Your personal testimony Talking about supernatural encounters will influence people more than you know. So I'm going to, I've shared my testimony. I don't know how many places in time. There's a lot of other things I do besides share my testimony. By the way, was this stuff recorded this weekend? Okay, so I'll have it to take with me because I'll have to see if I said anything right or not. <laughs> Just by my own estimates, hundreds of millions of people have heard my testimony. I'm not, I'm not bragging. I'm just, I'm not complaining either. I'm just saying, for whatever reason, it's out there. And it's out there. I don't even know how much it's out there. I have people that, foreign countries, they put in different languages. And, you know, so I'm grateful for that. So I, I want to make sure that I tell the truth. Because in today's world, it goes somewhere. I'm also not afraid to tell the truth. Nor do I want to water it down so it's, it's so generic there's no power in it. The message of the kingdom is powerful. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, unto sozo. There's healing. There's deliverance. There's numerous people. Again, I boast in the Lord. that have heard my testimony. They were about to commit suicide. The true Barbara. 
There, there, there are people's lives that got put together. It's impossible because they got encouraged to go to the Lord on their own. So talking about Jesus and talking about, and it's not just your personal testimony about being saved. It's whatever God did in your life that you know is true may pull the trigger on somebody who never had anything like that happen. So I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, a number of years ago, Barbara and I were living in Ohio. We had four kids. We're pastoring a really cool church there in the middle of the country. And Barbara has a dream on Saturday night that this friend of ours and his wife, he's a really good skydiving buddy of mine. He, he was a goat, never went to a national championship that he didn't win first place. We did all kinds of stuff together. He was a tremendous competitor. <clears throat> but uh, we, we had not had much activity for a couple of years with them, and he was married, didn't have any kids. And uh, Barbara has this dream that his wife, Laura, was pregnant. Oh, you're right. His wife, Sharon, his mother's name was, was Laura. I'll get to that. So, I, so, so it's 7 o'clock in the morning. We're at, in our kitchen. I said, I'm going to call him up. And, and so she answers the phone. Sharon, Doug's wife, Doug's the skydiver friend of mine, answers the phone. And, and she's, she's out of breath. I said, oh, Sharon. I says, because I know that she's a runner, real exercise person. He says, so you're out running? And she goes, yeah, but I'm also excited. I said, yeah, you're excited because you're pregnant. She said, What? Who told you that? I said, nobody. Barbara had a dream last night that you're pregnant. And the baby's coming pretty soon, a couple of months. I think you even said that she was about six or seven months pregnant or something. She goes, that's amazing. How did you know that? I said, Barbara had a dream from the Lord. <laughs> and, and these people weren't believers. Friends a long time, but not believers. She says, well, not all the news is good. Doug's mom, Laura, had a reoccurrence of cancer. It's really bad. I said, we're coming. So I called somebody, took care of our four kids. We zoom over like two hours and go zooming into the house. And this, his, this guy's mother was really a cool lady, really strong, very positive person. But she was really sick. She was in a wheelchair, and we say hi and a little small talk. And I say, Laura, come on. We rolls into the bedroom and I sit down and have a talk with her. She looks at me and she goes, I always thought I wanted to be a Catholic. Now I know it's only important just to believe in him. She said, it's all because of you. Now, for some reason, in all of this time, I never mentioned one word to Laura Metcalf about Jesus or about my testimony. But everything I told my friend Doug, who was this championship skydiver, we did all kinds of stuff together, he told his mother. He told his mother everything I told him. This went on for years. So I prayed with her to receive the Lord right there in that bedroom. Came out. <clears throat> hugged everybody. We stayed there a little while. Went out. That was on a Sunday. That was the last good day she had. Come Thursday, she went to heaven. And my friend Doug said to me, he says, I wish I had that conversation with my mom. How much do you think God cared about that woman? And somehow, my friend verbatim kept telling her all of the God stuff I was telling him. And she had faith in God. It's, it's incredible. Well, not too long ago, uh, I started getting a bunch of emails a number of years ago, one that long ago, from somebody in Italy with a funny name saying they wanted me to come. He names his name. I don't know who this person is. He says, I want you to come. He says, I own, I own and operate a Pilates gymnasium. This was in southern Italy, down towards the boot heel there. And, uh, and I know who this person was. I said, I said, down there, nobody cares about God. I mean, this guy's got a nice idea. He wants to do, evan he wants to do evangelism in his gymnasium. He says, all these people are paying him money. Where it's 30% un unemployment, they're spending all this money to have a six-pack, a 12-pack, or eight-pack, whatever they want to get on their stomach. And he says, is there, and he's... He says, they're all coming in here, and they're leaving, and they don't know the Lord. And he's like, this is going on for like, and I'd go anywhere to preach, but I didn't know this guy, and it didn't sound like a good idea. It sounded like he has a nice heart, but what's going to happen down there? So I found out that someone who knows him says, you know, this guy's legit. So I was going to Italy. I said, I'll come a weekend before. I'll give you a weekend. So we're going to do, we're going to do Friday night, Saturday morning. No, wait, no. What was it? Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, and Sunday morning, you know. And then uh, 
No, it was the other way around. It was four meetings, and they're just going to sit. There's no advertising. It says Christian meditation. You wanted to sound like New Age. There's no prayer. There's no music. I go in there, and it's got these beautiful wooden chairs set up in his gym, and I talk. He translates. I, talk, I do my testimony. And that's it. They leave. Another group comes in. Same thing. Do the same thing. He leaves. Third time comes. He said, "This is going to be the most secular thing Sunday morning." I said. They were crying. I didn't even do anything. I just shared my testimony. He's talking in Italian, and I hope he's telling them the things that I'm actually saying. And I'm not sure what's going on, you know. And they leave. So Sunday night is coming around. It's going to be the last meeting. I said, look, his name is Renil. The guy had a funny name because he was born in Sri Lanka. He came to the Lord in Borneo, was on some kind of a missions boat called Operation Mobilization, and preaching the gospel in Italy, and his wife couldn't stand the ministry, so she left him and divorced him, and he was brokenhearted. And you can't be really a minister if you're divorced, like in Italy. They don't respect you. So he reinvented himself and started this Pilates gymnasium, and he was really disciplined, and he was really successful. He even had to train people in the Olympics. But he wanted to use what he had to have the gospel. So he said, Sunday, I said, look, Renel, you heard this three times. You share my testimony for 15 minutes. I want to preach the gospel. So he did. So he goes in Italian, brum, 15 minutes. I hope he got it right. So then I said, so I went, I took this story of when Jesus uh, received two of John the Baptist's disciples. John the Baptist is in prison, and he's going to be beheaded. And he said, go, go to him and ask, are you the coming one, or we should, should we look for another? So he doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say to his messengers, his John the Baptist's disciples, don't you remember the prophecies about me and about you? You're my cousin. Don't you remember when the, the Father spoke from heaven, you know, and you said that, uh, you know, uh, follow you because I'm going to baptize all you. You know, he said, tell them what you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the dead are raised. Blessed is he who doesn't stumble over this. They go back. He doesn't. And so I did that message to these Italians staring at me like this, and I did it three times. I told it different ways three times. I said, this is the message. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. And I was going to give an invitation thinking, maybe there's a couple of people here just in like a little bit of a mood, you know, they want some help. I said, I made it as hard as I could. This isn't about joining a church. This isn't about checking a box. This isn't about getting fire assurance that you don't go to hell. This is about coming to the Lord and living for him the rest of your life. Is there anybody here that would have the courage to stand up and to take this challenge? Every person gave their heart to the Lord. Okay, I was shocked. And then the Lord gave me some information that there was somebody there had a terrible problem for a year and a half in their right elbow. The guy pulls up his sleeve. It's like a tennis ball growing off his elbow. I pray for him. It immediately disappears. Not his elbow, but the big lump. <laughs> Arm falls on the floor. <laughs> and so I said, if anybody's here, and, and you're sick or you had an injury and you need healing, stand up. About 40-some people stood up. And I said, now you, all these mature Christians that were 60 seconds in the Lord, you go pray for them. Every person gets healed. Now, I am shocked and embarrassed at the size of my faith going there. I went there because someone else said, no, this is a cool guy. Go there. Give him your best shot. I went back to my hotel room. I just Oh my God. I said, and I saw God, God, I gotta go to sleep. I got my little Italian Mediterranean hotel room, and I'm laying down, I'm looking up, I'm trying to sleep, it ain't working. I'm counting holes in the ceiling, you know, instead of sheep, and it ain't working. So I, said, so I pick up the uh, remote. Now, they don't even speak English at, hardly at all in Italy. 99% of the people do not speak English. Most countries we go to, 40, if you're 40 years old or under, you speak English. These guys don't speak English. So I said, maybe I'll get the BBC. I just hit on. It comes on a thing called the History Channel with me sharing my testimony, speaking Italian. That they, oh my gosh. Out of, you know, out of what, two, three hundred channels, it happens to be me on a History Channel. But I didn't even know they, they did this. They put my thing in there. I said, okay, I get it. Just preach and don't worry about it. That really happened. There's a picture of a group of part of the people that come to say goodbye to me, go to the airport. Hello? Uh-oh. It's coming. You'll see you later. A church started in 36 hours. 
that's there to this day when there's not a Christian within a hundred miles, there's not a church within a hundred miles, but God only used a little tiny bit of my openness and somebody else's big desire. He had compassion on the people that he was taking care of. And the church was born. I went there again, same thing happened. This church is thriving in this gym. He used, he took what he had and he used it for the Lord. And not, a, not only is it now a good business, it's a church. There they are. These are some of the people of the new church. That's Renil laying on the floor next to me, the guy from Borneo. These are all new believers. That's just a few of them that came to say goodbye to me. Hey, I'm not that good at this. It seems that God is. It seems that God cared about a woman, a friend of mine's wife, his mother, it gives my wife a dream, and there had, we had to be willing, not knowing what was going to happen, to let our kids go to someone else to go for two hours just to go see what would happen. And God saved her life from death. She went to heaven instead of, instead of not. God goes out of his way. We should go out of our way for Yahweh. <laughs> She's really trouble right now. She wants to says, tell him how long we've been married. 48,000 years. Okay. No, no, no. That's not what I asked him. He, he okay. won't let me do that, so I'm going back over here. Okay. In, in the book of Revelation, if there's a theme or a title of this message, it's, it's overcoming power. Overcoming power, being a, being a follower of Jesus. Revelation chapter 12 says, And they overcame him, that's the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Book of Revelation chapter 19, verse 10 says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You want to be spiritual? You want to have the anointing? Talk about Jesus directly. Tell the truth about Jesus, and the Lord will get on it for their behalf. It's not about religion. It's not about making somebody feel guilty. People, when the Holy Spirit comes, they'll know what's right and what's wrong. And God wants to draw them. But everything in, the, in this physical world, everything in the world system will try and cheat people out of the opportunity to accept the redemption that's provided for everybody. Unfortunately, not everybody will respond to the love of God. It's amazing. I've held hands with people that are dying that wouldn't pray. People have heard me and walk away. More people... The vast majority of people, given an opportunity, do respond. We need to know how to stay in God. The sons of Issachar, if you've heard of them, knew the signs of the times and what to do about them. You can read it in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. The 200 leaders from the tribe of Issachar had abilities of perceiving the signs of the times as a result their knowledge and judgment provided needed help in making decisions for the nation. Knowledge of current events, trends, and things that are needed to help us understand people's thoughts and attitudes. We are marking at this time over a year and a half of this virus, which has produced a cancel culture, not just in one region, but in our nation and the entire world. Jesus said, but when the Father sends the advocate, my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and he will remind you of everything I've told you. What I've already told you about Jesus said should be enough for you to respond. What you've heard in here, what Jesus said, is just builds that up. The Holy Spirit wants to help direct us to make a difference in this life. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you look in the sky 
And you know about the weather. Luke 12, 56, hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? The Passion Translation reads like this. What hypocrites? You're such experts at forecasting the weather, but you're totally unwilling to understand the spiritual significance of the time you're living in. John chapter 5, verse 39 says, he says to the, to the church leaders, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These things, they testify of me. So there are people that know the Bible better than me, but they don't know the Lord. There are ministry schools that teach everything but the power of the Holy Spirit and the ability of God to change lives. There are churches that reject the most important things that Jesus insists. And there's individuals that have been hurt so bad by bad church stuff, by false doctrine or non-church experience, it was all condemnation, they wouldn't want to go to any church. But God cares more about them, about one person, than he does an entire city sometimes. He does care about an entire city, but he cares about each one of you. How could God take a mess like me, full of chaos in my life? It says in the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, that the earth was without form and void, but the Spirit hovered over the surface of the waters. Another translation says it brooded over the surface of the waters. And then the words come, let there be light. And God began to bring order to chaos. I don't think it's hard for you to believe that when that airplane hit the tree and I was on fire and everything that I had that was any good was dead at the crash site, that there was total chaos in my life. How many would agree that? I'm not exaggerating. And there was no earthly solution. The doctors will tell you that. I hadn't prepared. I hadn't prayed. But God heard my prayer. Help me, I'm sorry. And then when I was in the very precipice, the edge of eternity, I called out and said, I'm sorry. I want to live. I want to be alive. I was in his presence knowing then I'm going to live forever in this incredible, powerful, amazing Supreme being God was going to take care of me forever. You can't get that on a computer chip. You can't get that at university. All the money in the world can't buy that. There's no scientific evidence that's going to change the chaos that's in the lives of people. But God has the ability to make all things new. Now, is the time to decree and advocate the preeminence of the person of Jesus Christ, his lordship as a follower, and the power and the authority of Scripture to accurately, by revelation, interpret the Scripture. Yeah, one more testimony, and we're going to wrap it up because I already stayed here longer. Are you guys okay? Yeah. It wasn't too long ago. I got a Christmas present. I got a phone call from some young woman we know in Toledo, Ohio. She's about 30-some years old. Her name's Jessica, and she says, Mickey, my sister called me from California, and their best friends from college have had something terrible happen. So her sister lives in California, Southern California, and their best friends from college lived somewhere in Indiana. And the guy was taking a shower, their friend, and, and he hears a loud noise. There's an explosion in the upstairs bedroom where his seven-year-old son is. A space heater exploded. The man's wife goes up there, opens the door, it blows backwards like this backdraft stuff. She didn't get, and is an inferno in there. He runs up there, naked from taking a shower, runs in there, gets his seven-year-old son, tries to get him out of there, and the carpet, which is probably a synthetic rug, starts falling apart. He's crawling on flaming, burning carpeting with his son. Throws him through what he hopes is the open door, crawls out. Now he's in a burn clinic in Indianapolis with his son, and this woman, Jessica, says, Mickey, uh, my sister, uh, they've been on the phone with him. This has been like, this is maybe the second or third day. And they said, she said, when I was a little girl, a man came to our church who was in an airplane crash. And he shared his testimony, how God saved him, 
He got caught up in heaven, brought him back, healed him. There's this story about God touching his life. So these people that they've been praying for for 20 years from college weren't believers, but they were best friends. I don't know how recently they saw him. So somebody brought in an iPad or something, so he looks, looks at my stuff. He's in a burn ward. He's in horrible pain. And he's reading, and the medical staff said they could feel the presence of the Lord in this room. But he's in agony. He would pass out and wake up screaming. And the only thing that kept him from going crazy was he saved his son, who was also burned. Saved his son from getting killed. So this girl, Jessica, says, I'm going there tomorrow. And would you call and pray? I said, of course I will. So we arranged that I call at 2 o'clock. So she goes, she's bringing cards and stuff. And Barbara says, make sure you have some anointing oil. She says, I got stuff from Jerusalem. And so they're going to go up. So, so they go in. So they call me. I said, hello, she's making Jessica says, this is Freddie. He's here. I said, how you doing, man? I said, no. And I know that he's been identifying with me because he's an extreme sports guy with bikes and all that. And, and he was reading my stuff and, a test, and, and identifying with it. I, says, I said, Freddie, I said, I, I know you're in rough shape. And this is weird. I don't want to be weird. This is but did anybody ever ask you to accept Jesus as Lord? Goes silent, I'm thinking. Hope he doesn't shut down. And, then, and he said no. And his wife is sitting there next to him, and she said no. I said, well, I'm going to ask you. I said, you know, God did a lot of things to me sovereignly. I didn't even know what he was doing. But when I committed my life to the Lord, everything began to come together. Well, there are problems, but there were solutions to the problems. He started to bring order to my chaos. So I said, Freddie, I said, would you and your wife want to receive Jesus? Yes. So I pray for him. Immediately the Holy Spirit comes down, and this oppression that was on him goes away. Almost all the pain goes away. You see, in the book of Revelation where it says, the Spirit hovered over the water, when the word was spoken, something happened. When this guy, when I said, do you want to receive Jesus? And he said this simple little prayer. The spirit was there. It penetrated that and brought into that a power to bring order to what was chaos. This is a picture of his arm the day I prayed for him. It's coming. This is a true story that was not too many years ago. I don't know, what, three or four years ago, Barbara? And this man was really burned. I could show you other pictures besides this of his legs crawling through the fire and all that. They were considering amputating it. Okay. Uh, I know. Nope, wrong picture. That's his arm. So that's all of the skin, that's all the fat tissue, that's down to muscle, and other parts of his body. This is his arm about a week later. Next picture. He walked out of that hospital without an operation. He's saved. He got delivered, filled with the Holy Ghost. He is today a known evangelist. Everybody that knew this guy knew that he didn't know nothing about Jesus. Now they know everything that happened to him was because of Jesus. He walked to the shell of his burned-down house and said, this is the site of my restoration. Lord rebuilt the house. A year later, he sent me a picture. He and his wife have another baby. He, his life was chaos. They prayed for him for 20 years. I was part of something that happened. Their friends were really part of something that happened. And God was the main part. Jesus is the main part of what actually happened. He got saved, delivered, healed, transformed, and called to be a living burning heart follower of Jesus. You tell me who did that. God sharing, so some person shared when I was a little girl. You'll never know how much you sharing an encounter with Jesus will penetrate a person's life. It, you may not know what happens. I'm sure that in my life I'll never know on this side all the things that happened by what God shared through me with other people. Or I'll put it the other way around. You know how I've been changed by other people's lives in mine in a positive way? You've got something that everybody needs. All right. That's enough of the pictures. Uh, 
I used to do this all the time. I'm going to do this all the time. If you're here today and you're not following Jesus, I don't care. I mean, I want, I am, by the love of God, I'm telling you, it's not, it's not that, why wouldn't I share something as important as something that saved my entire life and gave me a life when I didn't have one? These things are all true stories. If you're not following Jesus, I can't tell you what to do. I'm, I'm offering you. If you're not following, that means maybe you knew him, but you're stuck. Or you're, you're afraid to walk with him. Or there's something blocking or there's some junk in your life. I'm asking you to stand up right now and I want to pray with you to become a follower of Jesus before chaos gets worse. If you're here and you want to be a follower of Jesus, I want to see your hand right now. There's one there. There's one over here. You want to be a follower of Jesus. Is there anybody else? It was just two people, and I believe there's more. And again, this isn't about coercion. This is about, I'm here. I may never come back again. I'd be willing to come back. But I'm telling you the truth today. You think that our country is in chaos? This is the way out of chaos. This is the way of life. How many of you want to be a follower of Jesus? I want you to stand up. Okay, would you come up? Both you gentlemen. Come on. Right over here. Over there, it's okay. It's okay, buddy. God bless you, man. gentlemen would you come out first take him over everybody else please do not disturb It's, I'm going to wrap this up. I mean, I really mean it. If you have a need and you can stay after and you need prayer, we'll do that. Somebody else will do that. But I just want to share with you. I have the joy of the Lord. It breaks my heart to see people suffer. It breaks my heart to see people abused by bad people. It breaks my heart to see people confused. Because I know what that's like. It breaks my heart when I hear about families having problems. Because I know what that's like. God knows what everything is like. And he has solutions for people. It ain't easy. If people tell you, just come to the Lord and everything be perfect, it'd be a bowl of cherries. And not like that. It's better than that. Something that's valuable is costly. It cost the father everything he had. His only son. And he'd have done it for one person, but he's, he's provided enough for every person. And it's a tragedy for people to not accept Jesus and the redemption of the Father. It's a tragedy. 20 years ago, 3,000 people didn't know on September 10th that on September 11th, they would no longer be alive on the earth. I look at that and I think of the lives of people and I remember exactly where I was and I remember what we did. And I've been involved in some other tragedies, big ones, but I've also been involved in powerful, redemptive things. I just want to encourage you. We need to be bold people. In Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were being threatened, they says, don't do this anymore, and they beat them, and it says, you 
don't talk about Jesus in the rector. You can stay in your little houses, but don't go outside. The people have been shut down in their own houses for over... And this never happened in the history of the world. Where people are made afraid or it's illegal to even, to even worship. People are trying to say, you can't even worship in your own house. Bull! It's bovine scatology. That's what that is. It's a fancy way to talk about BS. Is what it is. That's BS. Somebody needs to stand up and be bold. They said, Lord, take note of their threats and grant us to be more bold to preach the gospel and you extend your hands to do signs and wonders and to get delivered. Jesus talked about a crooked and perverse generation. If that was ever true, it's true now. God loves you. God has a plan for you. And I encourage you... I, I couldn't entreat you anymore. Then whatever it is God wants you to do, start it now. If he wants you to come for a prayer meeting, come. Just be bold enough to share the love of God. You can talk to people. It's, it's, it's really easy to love people and share Jesus. It really is. The most you have to get over is usually yourself. You're worth it. What you have in you is worth it for them a lot of people would never walk in the doors of a church. I was glad to be on the History Channel. I was glad to be on ABC and on Fox. I'm glad. I'm glad to be on all kinds of Christian TV and radio and all that. But, you know, there's people, like when I was on the History Channel, people that would never come in a place like this heard about me. And a woman, actually, she had a whole jar or a cup full of pills to kill herself. She sits down. She's going to kill herself. For some reason, she picks up the remote control, hits the on button, comes on the History Channel with me, Sharing my testimony. She gets scared, Googles me, and doesn't take her life. She gives her life to the Lord. I didn't do that. But God used the simple, weak things of the earth, me. How weak can you get to be a basket case like I was? That's weakness. That's A-plus weakness. He takes the ridiculous and he does the miraculous. <laughs> I love God. I love this place. And God loves you. And we need a baptism of the love of God. Father, I pray right now for Barbara and I, our family, for our town. We'd have a real revival. I pray for Grant's Pass. I pray for this church and every person that's here that you would... Make them radically zealous. And give us a love for people that doesn't fail. Give us skills and ability to extend your hand and touch lives. Open the hearts of people in this community. And let there be the testimony of Jesus, high and lifted up above all the other noise. I thank you for that in the strong name of Jesus. That's it. I'm done. Just uh, real quick, I, I just really feel that a lot of you are kind of weak need in this season. You love the Lord, you're tired, and you just need an infusion of boldness. How many want that? Why don't you stand? Why don't you stand? You want an infusion of boldness. Ah. It's on your heart. You know what you want to do, but you're just like, ah, and you need some boldness. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray that you would download just supernatural boldness. Wow. Father, that you would strengthen knees that are weak and you would bring incredible, a, a whole new wave of passion would roll over us. Passion to want to pursue you at all costs. Oh, so Father, we just pray right now for fresh new boldness to fall. Father, I pray that tomorrow morning,
Every one of us would wake up with a song in our heart and a skip in our step and a determination to jump out of bed, take our sword, and fight the enemy and push the darkness back. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, I want to pray a moment for my brother Mickey and, and his wife Barbara and their ministry, God, that you would continue to open doors, that they would continue to be welcomed into places where you wouldn't think people would want to go, but they would go with a willingness and a boldness. I pray for provisions and resources from the most crazy, wildest places to make this happen. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Jesus. I just pray that you would bless them, God. Mm. And Father, while we're here, I, I just want to take a moment to thank you for the testimony of what you're doing in Ernie's life. It's moment by moment, step by step. I just see him coming back with an incredible story, God. Father, I just pray that while he's in recovering and rehabilitating, all that stuff, God, I know Ernie. He's a fighter. And I know that he's going, hey, do you know Jesus? That's his heart and that's his passion. So, Father, I, we just look forward to seeing him again in your timing, but just with an incredible, incredible song in his heart. I just wanted to share something. Um, this morning when I was getting ready to come, I had my grandkids watching Superbook, which is a children's Bible story on the TV my granddaughter's three. She is the one that I just came, they came and got me for. Anyway, um, there was a scene where Satan was a big snake and the angels were coming out of heaven and there was that battle was going to happen and she said, no, Satan, out of the mouths of babes, right? Yeah. You tell Satan, no, Satan, when he gets into your business because he has no business in your business. I got to say, there was a time not too long ago when Teresa was like, is she even in the room? And the boldness that's on her today is amazing, so praise God. I just wanted to say we were very blessed to uh, get to spend some time with Mickey and Barbara back east, and one of the things that really encouraged me meeting Mickey was uh, my little brother, my kid brother, was in an uh, an accident. I, I was the only one of our family members to see him in five years' time. And the last hour I spent sharing the gospel with him and gave him a bunch of material and left. I didn't press him for a decision, and I've always wondered what happened to Tommy because he was a motorcycle wreck, came down on his head with no, no helmet, and they cut out 25% of his brain trying to save his life. I didn't know any of this. All I got was a phone call that said, Tommy's been in an accident hurry you don't don't hurry back he's alive but don't hurry back my mom and dad were there my aunt and uncle were visiting from out in Iowa and I rode back there with them and that was the longest journey in the world and when I went to hug Tommy I he was in a different kind of room I didn't know I just was so emotional I just said I love you Tommy and I fainted instantly because he was like a stone it was just his body they wanted his body parts and I've wondered whether Tommy would have a chance to get to know Jesus. But Mickey's story really encourages me because he cried out in an instant. And all he said was, God, forgive me. And I want to live. And so it gives me a huge amount of hope when I hear Mickey's testimony. So love you, Nikki, Mickey. And love you, Doug, for having him here. Love you all. Well, well. God bless you guys. Go have a glorious day. And uh, man, just go preach Jesus. Amen. Pray for America.